Hello, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. I'm going to revisit some things this evening in this episode. Uh, brick making, it's, it's a passion, it's, it's a great interest, uh, particularly the baking and molecular action of clays and things like that. Baking and burning of bricks. So uh, this in general is going to be probably five, six episodes. So we'll, uh, we'll try to keep them relatively short because there's a lot of... Again, specific good information. So, so let's uh, begin by brick making and burning. It is needless for me to say that uh, brick making is one of the oldest arts practiced by man. Yet it has made less progress in its methods of operation than any other art that I know of anyway. Um, in, in this episode, um, I will notice the different kinds of clay that is or may be used in the manufacture of brick and, uh, and its descriptions. So let's see, like Webster, the dictionary of Webster defines clay, which is right, except that he, like all their brick makers, says that clay will shrink or contract by heat, which is only true as a rule. All clays partake of a metal called aluminum, so all clay has aluminum, otherwise it's not clay, it's one of the key components. So fire clay, such as is generally used to make infusible brick for furnaces, is composed of alumina and silex, with more or less magnesia and a trace of protoxide of iron and just a few trace elements. In proportion, as iron and alkaline salts are present in clay, in that proportion to it vitreous or fusible and in proportion to the absence of iron rust or protoxide of iron or alkalized salts it is fusible so all fusible all fire clay has more or less alumina silex and magnesia the basic components alumina silex and magnesia the most of our primitive clays in the south are infusible by ordinary heat of the furnace. In some places, I have found that the kiln is set to 45 or 85 bricks high, would swell up three inches when perfectly burned, instead of settling eight to 10 inches, as it is the case with fusible clays. The clay on which in the yard here, in, in uh, outside of Pennsylvania, will perceptibly swell under intense heat. This is during the summer when it's very humid. Yet I can melt a, a brick made of it as I put two ounces of soda or potash with it before molding it. So potash is going to control that expansion and contraction. The metallic oxides is what gives the color to the clays. Where iron rust or peroxides of iron predominate. Well, we have that kind of clay that burns a bright cherry red. So the, the red clay is going to burn in the kiln a bright cherry red. The ovule clays of the rivers and creeks and the anti-ovule or the diovule clays of which the, the, the land around here in the Pennsylvania all have this character. The silt or clay deposit on the banks, say, of the Mississippi River is ovulo clay and makes a dull red friable brick, easily burned, 
So the, so the different type of clays burn, totally burn or fry differently, but fusible under a low heat. Most of the brick of commerce are made out of more primitive clays or of the anti-alluvial clays, such as are found on the plateau lands of the rivers. The red brick of, say, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Cincinnati, and St. Louis, for instance, are of this kind of clay. And uh, you can see this actually in, in a lot of the buildings found on the University of Penn. The largest, deepest, and most unbroken continuous bed of this kind of clay in the United States is to be found in the Baton Rouge, Louisiana area. It is over 20 miles long and generally 22 feet deep. Imagine that clay deposit. Phenomenal. I have found this from a personal observation and made some of the finest red bricks I've ever saw. In fact, this mammoth clay bed is nearly continuous on the east bank of the tablelands of the Mississippi River from Bayou Sara, Louisiana, to Memphis, Tennessee, about 400 miles long and an average of 20 miles wide. Let's talk about fire clay. Our fire clay beds are of two distinct kinds of deposit. One is in veins or strata, contemporaneous with our coal fields. The other is the large homogeneous primitive clay beds of New Jersey, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. Nearly all of these clay beds are found near or contiguous to the seacoast. The largest, most extensive, and best are found in the southwest part of, say, Florida and southeast part of Alabama. So rivers in the Alabama region um, running north to south have developed the best fire clay that is found uh, anywhere in the country. In fact, the, that country is underlaid with a vast interminable bed of potter's clay and fire clay. So potter's clay is different than potter's clay. In strata from six to 40 feet deep, often cropping out on the surface. This clay is suitable for all kinds of pottery for fire brick and for the very best kinds of building brick or blocks for street paving. It is very cheap and accessible and in every way advantageously situated for profitable manufacturing. So let's talk about how to test clay for making brick. I've known too many who have got the brick fever or brick in the hat to start and with plenty of money to get rich on a poor bed of clay. The first work I ever did was to burn up or turn up brick in, in a local brickyard in Pennsylvania outside of Allentown. I went off to, to off-bearing as soon as I could carry some three bricks in a mold. And then I was put at a table as soon as I was able to, to make the mold. So this is the beginning of when I experienced brick making. And I learned to mold in all ways and all sorts of brick. I then was to put on to setting. In due time to burning, so burning obviously is our last we burned the old-fashioned way, closing up one head or side and firing from the other in about three days. 
the open the opening the closed head and the shutting up of one the sliding wood over the old slavish home pole until the first head was settled the reversing fires and going for the middles of the last head so this is all terminology about moving bricks around in the kiln to make sure it's a thorough burn or thorough thorough baking now if you were an old scar worn weather beaten mudlark that knew how to roast a say a stolen chicken you would just know how or what I'm talking about and seeing that I've been uh, been doing this for a few years in these brickyards you'll say that he must be a brick himself and not a salmon brick at that when I started out doing this I thought I knew all about the brick making and I got along first rate while working along the Mississippi River where the clay was the same kind I've been used to for many years I thought a brickmaker was a brickmaker the world over. It happened that the people in Miss uh, people along the Mississippi River um and going all the way up to Little, Little Rock, Arkansas, say to about 19 or 1838, um most were engaged in brickmaking there, but they had a select clay bed in that area. In all appearances was just the kind that I've been used to or I've seen. Uh and I soon built a kiln one of my first kilns was with a fire and with the fire's worked uh was quite first rate i was very much pleased but when i came to settle the heads just as i'd always done the irritation began there was never more or less sleepless vigilant man at a kiln than myself so you're always worried about the kiln and how the kiln is firing the bricks is it doing what it's supposed to be doing i had the fire blooming out but all over the top the arches were nearly to a white heat and hotter than i'd ever had a kiln before i saw no signs of a settle i began to get scared the idea that i'd come there as a crack or tip-top brickmaker and now could not settle a brick kiln when the fires and wood were all first rate was too cushing for a, a good temper so i got several cords at best dry fine split hickory wood and burned it as fast as i could and kept up with a rapid combustion rate because the 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 dry wood combusts very quickly the arches were so hot that i could see the overhangers they were as white as snow bank white blazes shot all over the kiln and the walls cracked so that the whole kiln looked at night like a mass of molten matter not a particle of settle appeared and i closed the kiln as the greatest phenomenon of my life as i began brickmaking i knew the kiln was burned but the quality of the brick was what concerned me foremost on the 5th day after closing the first time of brickmaking i opened the kiln and to my agreeable surprise the perfect uniformity ring strength and color of the entire kiln excepting the outside course of the brick was the most perfect i'd ever seen then it was what i had saw the wisdom of say dr franklin's aphorism that sensible people never finish their education i saw that stereotype practice in brick making would only do in the clay bed where the practice was had or one exactly similar a thing only found on a continuous stratum in the same locality or kind of clay so all these answers of how the bricks turn out 
is primarily the clay that you use. Is it is it mixed well? Is it is all the clay you pull for a batch of bricks of the same strata? Or did it creep or leach into another strata? So these are things you have to be well aware of. Testing clays for brick making. If a person desires to make brick or has any concern as to the quality, he should first have some proper practical knowledge of the business. Then if he goes into the clay bed, which is unlike that he has worked, he should take a fair specimen of the clay and have it tested. So any time that you're shifting beds or today, which is probably different, be suppliers of clay, make ad adequate tests. And it's not like you're testing with one brick. You have to do a run of bricks to see how it turns out and how the firing process is working for you. If, <clears throat> so if, if no such kiln is convenient, take some of the clay, wet it, letting it soak overnight. Then divide the specimen and temper one half well without any more, adding any more water to it than was used to soak it, mold it in the form of a small brick. Then temper the remaining half in the same way, adding water to it once or twice or three times, so that it will become much more plastic or plasticized than the first half. Then mold it likewise and put both specimens in the sun to dry. If the clay was much, has much lime or alkaline matter, the same tempered and watered mostly, this type of brick will crack in the sun and melt under a low heat. So we don't want, we don't want the brick to be super saturated with water. While the first specimen tempered and watered only once will not crack and will, will stand fire better than the other. Most people think that the more the clay is tempered, the less it will crack in drying, but the reverse is true. Clay is one of the most powerful hydrates known. It never parts with water until at nearly a fusible heat. So the water hangs, when you're heating it in the kiln, the water hangs in the clay right to the very end and escapes. Clay absorbs water in being tempered until distinguish, uh, distinguishable, uh, or the distinguishing is complete. Hence, it may be watered from three to five times during the process of tempering and its toughness and plasticity increased every time water is added. If clay be loamy or weak, it may be made stronger by repeated wetting and tempering. The analysis of clays shown in books cannot be relied upon unless made from a fair specimen to be used. So for this treatise, I will, in this text, give a simple way to make an appropriate test of clay without burning it. But nothing but a proper, fair, practical test will tell the truth about clays. Practice and science are so closely and necessarily allied in clay working that none but botches will dispute it. So let's, let's get into uh, brick, brick, uh, brick drying, testing clay, um, the best way to prepare clay for uh, plastic mud brick and the theory of pressing clay into perfection. Near the conclusion of, of our first talk, um, I say the most practical way for testing clays and their, their nature of, of drying in the sun. For if clay will not stand sun drying, it will not stand 
as a rule, sufficient heat in burning to make a good brick. Though if clay cannot be had that will stand sun-drying, still a very good brick may be made by tempering clay that cracks in the sun. In a pug mill and drying the brick on pallets under a shed, and if there be no shed or pallets, the brick may be laid on a yard floor as usual in the sun. And as fast as lay down in rows, dust or sand may be sifted on the brick so as to cover the entire surface, thus forming a partial non-conductor of heat, so that a rapid contraction of the top surface of the brick is prevented, and the evaporation of water in the brick equalized on all sides. But in all cases, brick dried on a pallet under a shed properly constructed is at least a third stronger and better than brick dried in a hot blazing sun, especially if there is much wind to be had. The slower and more equal on all sides a brick is dried, the less porous and stronger it is. If it is desired to test clay in burning and no regular brick kiln is convenient, after a small sample brick shall have been made, as I stated before, such a sample may be enveloped in a coat of clay, half an inch thick, and after being dried, may be put on a blacksmith's forge with a very low heat until it is well dried off. Then the heat may be increased until the clay coating begins to show signs of melting. Then let the fire die out, and when, when cold, take out the sample, knock off the coating, and though the specimen will not be as good as if burned in a kiln, yet it will, it will determine the practicality of making the brick of such clay. So that's a good way to just do, do a quick test to see how the bricks will turn out before you do a full-fledged batch. The best way to prepare clay for a mud brick. Having decided on a clay bed for brick, if it is for mud brick, the clay should be dug and thrown up in the, into the late fall or through the winter so that the rain and the frost will disintegrate and soften it as well as to dispose of any excess salts or flux that may be in it. If clay be dug, is dug and hauled to the pit directly from the bank, it is a difficult task to get it tempered so that the brick will be uniform in size or chemical composition. And if a kiln is not made of clay homogeneous in kind, quality and mixture, it is impossible to produce a good uniform size and color of a brick. The tempering of clay is a most important part in the manufacture of clay goods of any kind. Nine-tenths of the brick manufactured are of imperfectly tempered clay. A perfect Disintegration and amalgamation of clay is absolutely necessary to get the best results in the manufacture of anything made of it for building or doing domestic purposes. The time is coming when the working of clay will be as much of as much importance and concern as, say, the manipulation and mixture of iron and steel. Our, quote, lumbermen seem to have the mania for destroying all of our timbered forests, the ruthless and, and, uh, and waste-laden in the manufacture of lumber and the excessive output thrown upon the 
a gutted or sluggish market, our long exhaust and, and exhaust the supply of clay and iron will be chiefly employed in building. The arcade principle in architecture will be adopted, and clay will be molded in columns, segments, arches, and tiles, so that with a little iron, the most massive structures as well as the laborer's cottage will be built chiefly of industrial clay. So we have so much of this clay, what I'm trying to explain is that these trees are such a, a as a renewable resource, take so long to be, um, to re be, you know, so they're being refurbished. They take such a long time. Trees for, for cutting for timber, um, 30, 40, 50 years before they can be cut for, say, uh, for uh, balloon-type lumber, two-by-fours, which a lot of us know them, whereas these clay beds and river beds are just banked there for years, and there's tonnage behind tonnage that can be excavated. The streets of our cities will be paved with brick or clay blocks the size of two brick, but the clay must be strong and well-tempered if molded and thoroughly mixed and pulverized. If pressed dry and in all cases perfectly burned, from these premises, it is very obvious that the clay industry will, in all its departments, rank not less than third in mechanical pursuits. So to prepare the clay, um, dry pressed brick, okay? The preparation for dry pressed brick. So in, uh, in, 18, in 1861, um, brick manufacturers or a machine was invented, and it can be described, uh, seen in the, uh, the context of Scientific America, 1865, January 5th. And, you know, also there's been circulars that have been published setting forth the whole theory of making and burning dry pressed brick. So the machine gave brick making by dry pressure and impetus that has been culminated in the fact that with the right kind of clay, handling and burning, the strongest kind of brick may be made by pressing clay absolutely dry. If a substantial plant is to be made for the manufacture of dry pressed brick, it is necessary to have a bed of considerable depth, homogeneous in character from top to bottom. Then the clay should be should be caved and cut up well and hauled hauled in under a large shed, which should be divided into two parts. One half of the shed should be filled, say from four to eight feet deep, and with enough clay to run the machine three to six months. While that is being used up, the other half of the shed should be filled, so that the full supply of clay, with all of its moisture equalized, can be constantly had at any time. The raw material being thus prepared, a machine should be well put up that will pulverize the clay as fine as cornmeal and at the same time thoroughly commute it, it before it goes into the press. The pressure should be applied slowly, very slowly. If, if it was a direct pressure press, there should be a top and bottom plunger and only one of them would act at the same instant so that the, pres the present air in the clay may escape more perfectly. The machine exerts pressure by a roller, which is by passing slowly over the mold, expelling the air before it. The clay should be dry enough to allow the brick at once to be set in the kiln. 
The machine carry the brick on a, carries the brick on a belt immediately to the kilns, to the setters, and the new raw clay may be brought from the clay shed to the machine in the same manner, so that the whole process may be automatic, and all labor saved excepting for the clay getting and settling of the brick. If a dry press machine does not do all this, the labor saving feature is totally lost. The theory of dry pressing clay to perfection. As I previously mentioned, clay is a powerful hydrate. It absorbs water greedily and never parts with it unless it is subjected to heat near fusibility. So again, at the very end, the very end of firing, it loses the water. Clay in its different forms, conditions, and admixtures with other substances plays a more important part of the geological interest of the Earth's surface. And its adaptability to life and wants of man and animals than any other mineral. A few of its actions are to absorb mineral poisons and all poisonous fluids that come from the decomposition of vegetable and animal life. If it were not for the absorbing power and neutralizing effect of clay in solution in vast in a vast body of water, say in the Mississippi, and the clay deposits of the Great Delta. No animal life could exist on its shores. Clay in some form is absolutely essential and indispensable to agriculture. And so, I'm going to go on to say and enumerate, add infusion. But to the point, it seems absurd to say that we can make brick of dry dust clay. But when we see that the clay is in turn, that can be used relatively, and that in fact, there can be no such thing as dry clay. We may hope to make brick by pressure. And I'll give you the proof of a test that you can make at any time that you're attempting to make bricks or the dry type bricks. In two minutes, without costing a cent, you will, will be the most, most astonished for the simplicity of this test. So just take a lump of clay, as dry as you can get it, say two ounces, put it on an anvil or other smooth solid iron surface, and then take a hammer with a smooth surface. Strike the clay with a light blow. You will crush it. Strike again. You will reduce it to a impalatable powder. Increase the force of your blow a third, a fourth time, and you will find a thin, damp, laminated piece of clay, so dense, hard, and strong that it resembles metal. How cool is that? The attraction of cohesion is thus perfected. And it's almost like when you were, we, we in the clock industry rolled brass, uh, to work hardened. So that if five or six pounds of the clay were to be put in, into a die and 50 to 100 tons of pressure put on it, you have a perfect brick. And if burned properly, would be superior to any plastic clay brick. In a common size brick made by a good dry press machine, 12 ounces more clay is contained in that of a mud brick of the same, same clay and size. After a dry press brick is well made, it is simply a question of burning as regards to its superior over a mud brick. Burning, burn, a burning mud brick and burning dry pressed brick are just as different as working with tempering steel for a common hoe and the best blade for a sword or a spring for a watch. And I just want to add that 
Um, the end of last year, uh, probably starting in this time last year in July, uh, we went into a drought that lasted through October. And uh, so a house I'm very familiar with located on, on uh, you know, a, a lake in southern New Jersey uh, has a great clay base uh, right around where Worcester started his glassworks, Worcesterburg. Um, probably didn't have any rain for three months. The most that I can remember not uh, being seen probably for about 40 or 45 years. And what happened, it cracked a lot of the wells casing. So individuals who had wells dug for 40, 50 years had no problem with water. And all of a sudden the well casings cracked because all the the, the high heat and, and the dryness of the summer going to the fall exacerbated all of the moisture from the clay and the clay, you know, clumping and pulling and, and pulling back together uh, cracked a lot of well casings and a lot of septic systems for that. So that just shows you the power of it. It's not just some inanimate object. And, uh, you know, factor of expansion and contraction is huge, absolutely huge. Anyway, that uh, that's our first episode for uh, Brick Making and Burning, and we will pick this up at a later date. Greg Perry signing out, the historic preservationist.